Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tastings Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. This is Bullhagen. This is Vicker. Peter's here. Hey, Pete. Uh, we thought Berg was going to join us, but uh, we didn't send a reminder email or a text. And sometimes, yeah, that's on me. Uh, sometimes that happens. So maybe maybe he'll join us. Maybe he won't. But uh, this is your Stay first time, isn't it, Vicar, with just you and me and Pete, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're going to need you to step it up. Okay? I'll bring in this episode. Kind of like we talked about today, right? Basically, we talked about saying it with your chest a little more, right? Yeah, bringing the energy. Bring the energy. Gotcha. That's right. What is that, a Kevin Hart thing? No, that's a Pastor Bullhagen thing. Uh, no, say it with your chest is definitely a comedian thing. I don't remember who it was, though. I don't know. Hey, Vicar, uh, who says say it with your chest? Well, I know. This is, this yep, is how Kevin the, Hart. Yeah, I know Kevin, yes, Hart Kevin Hart popularized it, but I don't know if he's the first one to say it. I'm sure it was a That might be, him. but if you, if you Google say it with your chest, the first result is Kevin Hart say it with your chest. Yeah, so. see, okay. You I'm not a Kevin Hart connoisseur. I don't know much about Kevin Hart. Neither do I. So, anyways, so yeah, we talked about saying it like you mean it, right? Yeah, exactly. Which is which is interesting because we talked about you don't mind me talking about this with you. When you're a vicar, you're not used to being able to speak with authority on any level. <laughs> exactly. You're always ending things as a question. Right. You talk to professors. You want to seem humble, right? Yeah, exactly. You talk with your family, with mom. You don't want to, you know, say it. You know, hey, ma. This is this is what's going down, mom, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Or your wife, you know, you want to be gentle, of course, right? And so you get so used to that, you get in the pulpit. It feels a little natural at first to like to have some of that up talk while you're uh right while you're, while you're preaching, while you're preaching. Because it's natural then, because I don't want to seem like I'm uh in anybody's way or stepping on anybody's toes, anybody's toes. Yeah, that's almost apologetic. Apologetic, yeah. Sometimes you got to bring that voice down, right? Yeah, bring some mascul- actual masculine energy that's to it. That's right. Because I've told Vicar my theory. Uh, what is my theory, oh. Vicar? <laughs> Tell me what your theory is. What's yeah. my theory? Your theory is that God didn't uh, just call uh, men to be pastors because of their part. <laughs> that's right. There are, there are other things involved. <laughs> right, right. It's the whole, because we're men, we're masculine. Say it with your chest. Say it with your chest. What do you think about that, the exegesis of that, Vicar? I might have to study that a little further. <laughs> I thought your theory was related to what you drink on the podcast or something. I don't, I don't remember what it was. More than one thing could be true at a time. Well, I had a theory was... for a while that uh, that uh, I enjoy a good beverage once in a while. Yeah, yeah. But I don't what was the I don't remember what the beverage was. It was a specific it was like a Fanta or something. Oh, the the, the theory is that uh the small bo- the small cans taste way better. Oh, yeah. Listener, okay, so you don't remember, but the listener remembers. Please email and remind me. This is going to bother me. What what <laughs> drink was it that w- that he would drink and he'd said that he enjoys a good one now and again. That's his theory. Anyways, sorry, I'm derailing mm. you guys. Uh, what are you guys drinking? Uh, speaking of which, actually, I've got a a Red Thunder, which is the Aldi energy drink. Which, by the way, burns. Oh, it burns. Because I had it uh, uh this week, uh, just a couple days ago, a little scope down my esophagus. They took some uh, samples of my the flesh in my esophagus to check oh, out. Oh, so you're like raw in the a little in raw your, in your esophagus. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing that, that soothes it like a like a bargain brand Red Bull. Just kind of soothe it. A nice fizzy drink. Nice fizzy acidy uh, <laughs> slather of chemicals. I'm feeling it now. Preservatives. Hey, I got a picture of the inside of my esophagus. Oh, cool. We'll post that on the Facebook. No, no, no. If <laughs> No. <laughs> no. If you want to see the inside of my esophagus in the rings that uh, eosinophilic esophagitis provides, uh, we, I will provide that uh, at the request of a new Patreon subscriber. 
we'll start up an OnlyFans for you. <laughs> uh, no, Vicar, don't do that. No. <laughs> I feel incredibly uncomfortable at this point. <laughs> Vicar, what do you have to drink? I've got a Modelo Especial. Ooh, good choice. Increasingly popular in the United States, actually. I watched yeah. a video about that. Yeah, I had uh, a Ever company so- over the weekend, and this was left right? over from that, so thought I'd bring one over. Right. In fact, I would say, like, every day becomes increasingly more popular in the United States. There might be a reason for that. <laughs> All right. Vicar's shaking his head. Or Peter's shaking his head. Boy, we need Berg, don't we? So, yeah, we talked about saying with your chest, saying with your authority. You're in the pulpit, right? Yeah. The, what you are preaching on is the word of God, and it's ultimately authoritative, so you might as well say it with authority. And And... And do you know who else said it with authority? Jesus. Jesus. He spoke with great authority. And, and people were amazed that he would speak with such authority. Yeah. When you're standing in the pulpit, you are speaking on behalf of? Christ. So how should you say it? How he would. With authority. With authority. There you go. There you go. Uh, so, uh, Vicar, uh, what are you preaching on? I am preaching on the gospel according to St. Matthew, the sixth chapter. The, can uh, you summarize you, it? Do you want me to summarize it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of long, actually. Summarize it. Sure. So the pericope is basically about uh, being anxious. From the Sermon on the Mount. Yep, yep. We're uh, in chapter six, so we're uh, getting through the Sermon on the Mount, and this is his discourse on anxiety and the f- sort of the fruitlessness of having anxiety, um, having to worry about your basic necessities because uh, just as God... He says, just as God uh, cares for the birds of the air, the lilies of the field, how much more then does he care for you? Uh, Since your life is ultimately more meaningful than the birds or the lilies who are here one day, gone the next, uh, you are not so. You um, have eternal life given to you through Christ. So how much, the the main premise is how much more then uh, are you worth than these things that God obviously takes care of? So here's a question. Excuse me. <laughs> I also have like a for the listener. I have a, they implanted like a little thing that uh, is supposed to like has a Bluetooth sensor in my esophagus. Whoa, you're a cyborg now, right? He's more machine than man now. Yeah, China's gonna know my my well my uh the state of my esophagus. And you know what your brother said, Peter? Why does China care about what's in your esophagus? But they hey, know. man, they know. I Google's probably knows too, and that's more important. <laughs> Anyways, where was I going? I have a question, Vicar. What have you learned this week as you write? And I like to like to do this once in a while about the the preaching process, the sermon writing process. What what kind of steps do you think you feel you made and you learned in the process this week? Your second time preaching. Well, I was able to actually take. Um, conversations and concerns I've heard from other people into consideration while preaching on this and be able to sort of, you know, not, not directly like call people out or whatever, but to use that in order to write about people's anxieties, people's concerns. Uh, you know, we hear constantly about uh, what people are worried about and this speaks exactly to that. And so I can bring the gospel to that situation. Mm-hmm. And, and realizing too, that when Jesus spoke those words, it might seem, oh, that's kind of simple, what you eat or what you wear. But we remember, those are real anxieties for, for the people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, we kind of take that for granted that, that uh, you know, we're worried, oh, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? They worried, is there going to have, are we going to have any food? You know, we actually talked a little bit about this when Joseph Amola was here. Yeah, exactly. And, and how, how the, if you go back and listen to it, how much more trust and understanding of this passage where he lives by faith and the people around him live by faith because uh, we know God will provide, even though we don't always see how he will provide. And he deals with people who literally don't always have a place to live, who literally don't have any food, who literally don't have anything to wear. And uh, he has a, a kind of a richer understanding of this text. And and sometimes uh, I think uh, the challenge for the uh, vicar writing the sermon is, is just that, of trying to, of thinking about worries that are kind of caricatures of life. Yeah, well, you know, uh, you want to take 
what Jesus says about, you know, uh, the body being more than food and life be, or the body being more than clothing, the f- life being more than food. And so you want to talk about how anxieties related to that, but mm-hmm. in our country, people generally don't deal with that. And so you kind of have to talk about anxieties and things that they do worry about, which may not necessarily be that basic. Because if you, if you talk to an elderly person, right, they will talk, they will have, they had times where, where they had less worry, but also less conveniences. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, more reasons to worry, but uh, less worry. It's kind of interesting how that works, because I think we will always find something to worry about. And because we live in a sinful world, there will always be, uh, we will always, if, if we can't find anything to worry about, the world will, will always generate things to worry about. You know, even, I, th- I think we're wired that when we get comfortable in our life, uh, we give ourselves things to worry about. We, we get, our, get ourselves in trouble in all sorts of ways. And most of our worries are self-induced. Yeah. Um, and there too, even the worries that are self-induced, Christ is the one that still carries them. So also you, you learned, uh, I taught you a little uh, technique that's just a simple technique uh, in preaching. Yeah. What you added today. You want to talk a little bit about what you learned with that? The comparing and contrasting? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that and also kind of what I call the list. Yeah, so using, uh, for example, in the text we have, um, he, he talks about seeking first the kingdom of God. Well, what exactly is the kingdom of God and how does this relate to our worries? And so what we can do is take worries that we have and say, when you worry about such and such, remember that in the kingdom of God, such and such is taken care of in this explicit way. And so you can make a list and get more intense in order to create a point and then at the end leave it open-ended for the listener to sort of fill in the blank for themselves with whatever they may be struggling with. Right, right. And you notice today when you were practicing with me uh, uh, how that, that changes how you preach, isn't doesn't it? It kind of gets you into... Even we even talked about this this uh, the saying with authority when you talked about you know when you worry about food remember da 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 yeah so so um uh, I I like I like doing that because one it's easier to preach two it helps people kind of process in a, in a thematic way and as you go through that a list like that people will start filling in their own blanks with their own worries so you don't have to guess so much and um. And it'd be, you, you found that it's easier to preach that way too. It's, I think, as you, that wound up being kind of the high point of your sermon in a lot of ways that it gave you. Yeah, exactly. The comparing and contrasting is uh, especially uh, a, a very uh, powerful rhetorical device. And we see that all over the place. Even look at the, the small catechism, right? Right. In the explanation to the Ten Commandments. Right. We're given, thou shalt not. Well, what does that mean? Then Martin Luther tells us that means we should do this. So we're given a don't do, and then to supplement that, a should do, which is uh, it helps us to learn what these things mean better. Right. And in a way, it also, and what I like how you did it too is it is not just don't do and do, it is uh, you're comparing, in a sense, what how Jesus, you don't have to worry. Like, why worry about the food when God gives you? Yeah, that's it's almost like a gospel way of kind of bringing that in. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of us very much feel like we have to worry about things. Well, if this doesn't get done, how is it? Who who else is going to get it done if I don't get it done, right? Mm-hmm. And so we feel compelled to worry about things. But really the gospel here is that you don't have to worry about it because Jesus has taken care of it already for you. Right, and it's a delicate line too because people who worry might hear this text and they'll worry about how much they <laughs> worry. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Very, very good. Uh, it's, I, I enjoy the teaching part of it, but I kind of wanted to give you an opportunity to, to kind of talk about your own process. And I think it's good for the listener to hear because I still think there might be guys who are listening, who are considering, who are considering going to the seminary. And if you are one of those, uh, where could they get a hold of us, Vicar? 
there are a couple places they could get a hold of us. They could email us at uh, feedback at clericalerrors.org. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. And we also have a Twitter or at me, bro. X, yeah. Uh, at clerical errors P. You can access a question, bro. X. You can access a question. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you are, like, I can't think of a podcast that is more able to answer some of the questions. All right, Berg can't come. So, all right, in case you're listening, my, uh, my uh, message, I have Joseph Amolo as my notifications. How this podcast is good for those who... Oh, are... yeah, it's good for those. If you, I, I think for anybody, we've got someone who's going through the process, who went through the idea, well, uh, who went through the same, probably many of the questions that you might have about yeah. being a pastor or the preparation for being a pastor, what it's like, um, the joys that it brings. And uh, if you are someone listening and considering becoming a pastor, please let us know. That would be awesome. Yeah. If you have any questions, let us know. Uh, we'd love to answer them. Yeah. If I could be an encouragement to anybody, uh, please reach out. I'd love to have a discussion with you. Right. You can think of it this way. Maybe someday if you go to the seminary, you can be a vicar. And someday as a vicar, maybe you'll be on a podcast. And maybe it'll be <laughs> just as cool as the Clerical Errors podcast. <laughs> All right. So we need to finish, or we never finished our discussion. This is a third part of what it is, what it ain't, and what it could be. Oh, yeah. And uh, I don't have my list in front of me, but we can come up with some of these things, right? Yeah. We need to do uh, what it could be when it comes to the Lord's close communion. All right? Okay. Can you help me out at the top of your dome, bro? I'll, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> All right what it could be so one thing that it could be uh, if someone didn't listen to the other two uh can, can you give another brief explanation of closed communion you did a good job last time yeah so closed communion is the practice of uh guarding the communion rail by not allowing those outside of our confession to commune with us uh not to be mean but because uh who you partake communion with in and of itself is a confession of what you believe. Uh, and so if you are not, if you don't confess the same things about uh, communion that we do, uh, uh, it's it's better that we keep you from doing that um, in order to field questions. And mm-hmm. uh, as St. Paul says in, in Corinthians, that we may not, uh, that you may not eat and drink judgment upon yourself. All right. Very good. So, some things that, I, that I've noticed are blessings and benefits of it. One is, um, it actually is a good teaching moment. Meaning that uh, if someone is interested in joining, it gives you something to talk about right away. Now, if they're coming and they're offended right away, that ev- or they want to join, but they made this communion thing, it bothers them. You know, you can talk to them about it and it gets the discussion going. And um, and a lot of the people who have joined over the years who maybe were in that camp, and I said, well, let's learn about this faith before you take communion. They did gain uh, a hunger and thirst for receiving the Lord's Supper. That was good for them. And it was a way of, uh, of preparation. It gave kind of what they were doing and learning kind of an importance and going through the process, and in and, and, and those cases, um, they are appreciative that when they did take communion, that they had a better understanding. They knew how to examine themselves, and they are appreciative that I can just, you know, give them communion because I was worried that they may not leave, they may leave, or something like that. And one of the biggest helps of that is, is, is everyone involved at the congregation thinking of it that way and not simply just being apologetic for it but uh being encouraging and being helpful uh and uh welcoming when they don't take communion and uh um because a lot of times they might feel self-conscious about it and making sure that they don't feel self-conscious about it that oh we're thankful that you know you're here and you're learning 
and 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 that has been actually I've seen in many ways that hunger and thirst for the Lord's Supper to come through, and uh, a teaching moment of a desire to receive it and to receive it in a way that is to their benefit. And uh, that has been a beautiful thing that you can only get through the Lord's through the close communion, really by making sure that they're prepared, teaching them. And, and, uh, and a lot of times uh, the more they learn about that and the more they understand, the more appreciation they have. And so when you talk about close communion, um, it, it is really helpful if they come with a friend, if they come with a neighbor, if they come with a relative, for them to have that conversation and for them to take the heat off of it and saying, we're not making any statement really about you. We don't know you, <laughs> right? We don't know where your heart is, but we want you in, in care concern. Uh, this is how we do it. If if you're come if you're a friend or a neighbor or relative of that person and you bring them to church and you say something like, Well, I don't necessarily agree with this, but that's the way they do it at our church, that's not gonna have the effect that they need. That's not going to encourage them. It's gonna immediately create a distrust in them. And uh and that's not beneficial. Because then what happens is this. When, it, when it's addressed with that kind of distrust by the member of the church to this person, uh, then it becomes a, a, a level of distrust on all sorts of other things. And it becomes, rather, rather than something where they have an opportunity to listen and hear and digest things, it's, it becomes immediately a we versus they mentality that isn't helpful but if, if someone is coming or desires to come and hear, it, it, this is my experience that if they come with someone, invited by someone who is kind and gentle and able to explain it to a certain degree in a way that's not a, that doesn't put down the practice but lifts it up, that makes all the difference in the world. Um, I have noticed that oftentimes the ones who are most offended by this practice not as the one who is brought to church, but as the one, by the one who brings that one to church. And, uh, and so there's a lot of help and strengthening that we can do as church people, as friends, as neighbors, as family members, uh, to, to hear, for them to hear those words by someone that they can trust. And, and to be able to place trust, because it takes a lot of trust when someone comes into a church. You know, I'm trusting that you're going to give me God's word and that what you say is valuable and important. And, I, and I'm going to have to trust your motives. There's a lot of trust in the, the motives of a church. Why are you doing this? Are you here for my money? Are you here just because uh, um, a whole host of reasons that people have when they think, oh, you want to join a church? And so if it begins with, well, come to church with me, but there's going to be this thing that I'm not sure about please don't be offended. Immediately it starts it off on the wrong foot. And that could easily, easily, coming from the person that they know and trust that they want to come to church with, to say, this is out of care concern. We want you to understand what you're doing before you receive the Lord's Supper. And let's learn about it. Because there is a longing in those outside of the church. There's a huge longing for just what we talked about earlier, authority. What is right and true? Who is going to be honest with me and who is just going to, to try and sell me something? That discussion shows that we are willing to be honest with them. This is what we believe. And there is a lot of longing for what is true, what is right, what is good, uh, what is sin, what isn't sin. And there's a lot of, the, of those people outside the church, a lot of distrust of the church of a church that you have to get through. And so close communion can be a part of building that trust that there is something bigger than ourselves. We're not, we're just, we're not just doing this uh, because we want you as a member. There's a genuine care and concern for your soul. And even though it would be easier for us to say, please come to communion, we're not here to sell it to you. 
we're here to give you the truth. And that is a very powerful thing, I believe, that people can hear and understand. Um, especially nowadays, when people are so concerned and have such an ear for being sold stuff. Like, is someone your age and Peter's age, you grew up having to differentiate who cares for you, who is trying to sell you something. And uh, there is a longing for a genuineness in that. Tell me what I need to hear. Be honest with me. Um, you know, that's one of the things I like about this is I try and create, we try and create that kind of atmosphere. We're going to be honest. We're going to show our foibles. We're going to tell us what you really think. We're not going to sugarcoat it. We got an email from someone saying, I like it when Bullhagen got upset. Because I was genuinely upset, <laughs> right? And that I wasn't playing a show on it, you know? And that kind of, I think, helps people. And I think close communion is a way of being honest and open, and that's how you have to talk about it. That's the kind of way that people will understand. That even go, goes as far as saying this, um, of uh, being honest as far as, um, I know it's tough for someone, but this is what I believe. You know, close communion doesn't make our job easier. And, uh, but I, because of God's word, we believe it's true. And I think that kind of honesty helps people too. If someone, let's say someone, you give communion right away to someone who's still learning. And then they find out what communion is and examining yourself. They might be thinking, hmm, if this is what you believe, why did you let me take communion when I wasn't ready? And so I, I believe that when people come into a church, uh, it's less so much how, how you're selling it. I think it is really being genuine, being honest, and, and, and giving them the truth of God's word. That's what people are looking or needing. That's the big problem with the seeker sensitive movement, right? Because they're not being genuine with people. They're selling things. You know, you can get on Twitter and look at all, all the big evangelical churches and they've got, you know, sermon series where it's like Sundays at the movies and they've got these big sa stages where they're trying to get in kids. But that's not, that's not genuine. They're selling you a product and they're wrapping the gospel in a, in a pretty little bow and they're devaluing what they're trying to sell you. So okay, I, I, we haven't really talked about this, but uh, I imagine when you were at uh, Eastern Illinois yes. University, mm -hmm. that uh, um, that is one of the things that kind of you appreciate about the, the Lutheran uh, campus church there. Do they have a campus church or a... They do. Yeah, they they've got a like a campus mission there. Okay, is that what you found that refreshing, or? Well, my home church was just the town over, so I only oh, okay. visited the, that church a few times. Um, I know some people who did live on campus and went there, and they they loved it. But I know that going to school each week, especially at a state college, where um, you've got a lot of the LGBTQ stuff going on, it is very very refreshing to then go to church on Sunday and. Be given the gospel, right? Okay, so so that's when I look at the blessings. Is uh, I don't be I believe this that uh, there is also blessings in the process. There's because because I believe that this is a doctrinal practice taught by the Word of God about examining yourself and uh, and uh, receiving the Lord's Supper to your benefit. And because I believe this practice of close communion is driven by the word of God, that Jesus, God would not give it to us in this way unless it was a, a benefit, a blessing to the church. And so uh, because we believe God's word and because we believe this is how God's word teaches and teaches us to receive, recognizing the body, not bringing divisions to the Lord's table, um, uh, learning to examine yourself, about what it is that you receive in the body and blood of Christ, and learning to examine yourself as far as repentance, or learning to seek to to uh, not bring grudges or anger to the Lord's Supper, all those things, 
that that is a blessing into the benefit of the church. Why? Because that's what God gave us. And when you talk about the sacraments, the reason why we have three criteria for it, instituted by God, uh, promises of forgiveness of sins, and has an earthly element, the reason why those three are so important is because they all teach us that this is given to us not on our own terms, but on God's terms. Uh, not given how we see fit, but according to what God has given us. It was instituted by Christ for us Christians to eat and to drink. He is the one that began it. God who decides how he gives and works his mercy, how he feeds us his body and blood. It's not up for us to decide how we receive it according to the way we want it. And so the fact that it is instituted by Christ means that he is the one that gives it. He writes the terms. He is the one that institutes it. He is the one who decides how he gives the means of grace to us. And so with that in mind, because he is the one that decides it, then when it promises the forgiveness of sins, doing it as Christ commanded, then you know doing it as Christ commanded it that we do that you actually receive what it gives. And when you receive what it gives, then it places into context the earthly element because you're receiving elements as Christ gave it for the forgiveness of your sins as he is the one who decides it. And when you we get upset about it or try to change it or try to water it down. Consider what we're doing. We're kind of betraying the very heart of what a sacrament actually is. Christ said, do this. He is the one that decides. It goes back to the Old Testament temple. Who decided the, the dimensions of the temple? Who decided what, were, what, was, what was in the temple? Who decided the ceremonies that were going into the temple? Who decided how God met with his people at the mercy seat? It wasn't enough for the children of Israel to decide. God was gracious and said, this is how you meet me. This is the best way. You will be blessed by this, in this particular way, in this particular manner. And so they did. And so they received. And they forgot about it. They, many times they said, we want to do it our way. Uh, we want to bring in the gods of our neighbors. Uh, this is more meaningful to us. But that's not how God gave it. In much the same way, Jesus the night before he died, he gave it to us. He instituted it according to his command. He is the one who decides what you receive under the bread and wine. He is the one who decides uh, how you receive it. He is the one who decides that we should examine ourselves. Because when Paul teaches that, it's not Paul's opinion. He is teaching what Christ taught. And so because of that, that also drives close communion. And that drives our thought process. And that drives our thinking is of saying, this is a benefit to us, and this is good for us, because this is how Christ gave it to us. If I were to, to say, okay, Vicar, I'm going to give you donuts, uh, high-protein donuts now that you're working out. Oh, thank you. That was a good point. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and I said, okay, you can have a donut, but you have to come at 7.30 on Thursdays. I'd be there at 7.30 on Thursday. Well, and you might say, well, um, it would mean more to me. Well, thank you. Thank you. Far too kind. <laughs> um, it wouldn't be up for you to decide as a receiver. Well, I'd prefer at 9 o'clock. No. And, and, that, and those three qualifications of a, a sacrament are very important because it teaches us this is something that God gave us to do according to his command, according to his will, according to what he has given us to give his forgiveness of sins to us, and even down to the physical elements in the Lord's Supper, my body and blood to eat and to drink, and, the, and, the, and baptism, the water, uh, so that you have that physical element to show this is God, this God's word, according to Christ's command, has been given to you. If you're baptized, water hit your head. If you receive the Lord's Supper, you tasted it. It was in your mouth. And this is according to Christ's command in his way, in his offering forgiveness of sins, as he has promised. And that's a blessing. And that's why we think of close communion in this way. And why I think a lot of times when we talk about close communion, it's apologetic. It's law-driven. Close communion. Don't, 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 don't. But we got to flip it over and look at the other side. 
we got to flip it over and think, okay, it's also a blessing. God does not give it to us unless it's a blessing. So, comments. <laughs> Riff on that, Vicar. <laughs> yeah, well, this it is a blessing. And what what is a blessing but a gift from God, right? Right. And we treat, oftentimes we treat the Lord's Supper, baptism, preaching, the gifts that we've been given by God as things that we can command or we can get them when we want. But that's not the nature of gift giving, right? You give a gift to whoever you will, however you will, and whatever the gift may be. And the person receiving doesn't say, well, I don't want that. I want this instead, right? Mm -hmm. So how, what kind of, uh, uh, how proud are we to say, well, I want to receive your gift this way. Yeah. When you wouldn't do that to somebody else. Right. Or, or, or put it this way too. Like I, I'm not always the perfect, perfect at listening to what my doctors tell me. <laughs> right. I kind of like, yeah, you might want to take it easy this week. You know, and then we hit the hit, the, the weights pretty hard, didn't we? Yes, you did. Yeah. The peck flies and the combination peck flies and ball pushups. I'm still feeling that Vicar. Right. And, and because why? Because, uh, uh, there, there's not always a lot of trust between a patient and a doctor sometimes. And I think that's gotten worse, but that's another topic. Yeah. Okay. But the thing is, because I, I understand that, well, they're human just like me. A doctor isn't dealing with the ultimate authority that God's word brings. Yeah. And I think sometimes we bring that natural skepticism and we place the doctrines of the Bible onto the person, and then we like to judge that person that brings that message rather than the doctrine. Because sometimes when we're arguing against someone who gives us God's word, we're actually arguing against God's word. Now, in our minds, it's, well, we don't trust this person. Mm -hmm. And that's why we learn the Bible and the catechism, to take that out of it. They're giving us God's word. But I think sometimes we can bring that natural skepticism. Now, there should be skepticism in this way. If I stop preaching and teaching God's word, people, that should clue people's ear. If I start teaching uh, a doctrine that is not biblical or goes against what they have learned in the catechism, they should be skeptical. They should question that. They should not trust those words or at least have a talk with a pastor because well, this is not what God's word says. This is not what the catechism says. That There should be skepticism with that. Uh, everyone should be at know God's word enough to know that either their pastor is not giving it to them or not teaching it to them. But the other hand, if he is, are you skeptical of the pastor? Are you taking your skepticism of God's word and placing on the messenger? And sometimes that can happen with close communion too. Yeah, yeah. Uh very often anymore, whatever you say is always gone through the filter of, well, this is just your opinion. And so even if you're listening to somebody exegeting the scriptures, instead of thinking this is God's word, you're thinking this is this man's opinion on God's word. Mm -hmm. And so we feel the need to argue and be skeptical, even though um, we, and instead of attacking what this person may, may believe, we're attacking God and what he has said. Right. The, that's where the, uh, uh, that's your interpretation comes in. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, when, when Jesus says, this is my body given for you, well, how do you interpret that? It's like, what is there to interpret? Well, you know, of course Jesus was holding the bread and then pointing at his body. Sure. <laughs> sure. That's your interpretation. You know, see, you understand my point. Yes, Anyways. yes. Well, that, that uh, hopefully we have a listener who likes it when I get mad. So hopefully that satisfied you, listener. <laughs> you know who you are. We got an email from someone who who really liked it when I got angry a couple episodes ago. Was that last episode or this episode before? I don't know. That was the Ten Commandments one. Wasn't that last episode? Two episodes ago. Two episodes oh, okay. ago. All right. Yeah. Uh. So. Uh. All right. So if you uh, if you listen, if you hear some sounds in the background, they're having a a, a football meal. They're not eating footballs, but it's the football team. The football team is having like a pregame meal in our fellowship hall. So 
So that is what's going on in the background. Mm-hmm. And Peter's eating. He's also having a pregame meal. Yeah. No, that's the football that's the football guys. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? What's that? Uh, it reminds me of, uh, hey, Peter, to fill out the show, can we play uh, the Chris Christian interview? <laughs> Just Jesus and football. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, you heard that one? I've heard that one, Yeah. <laughs> I don't like replaying stuff on the show. They should just go back and listen to it. What episode was that on, Bullhagen? I don't know. But you say that, but no one ever does. It was a Thanksgiving episode. I feel like around those times you'll find it. I thought that was just Jesus and Turkey, the the Thanksgiving one. Yeah. Well, that was the year after, wasn't it? Yeah. There there was was another one where uh, uh, he got uh, local football players who... Yeah. Who... uh, from the university and kids can, can try and re- return a punt against <laughs> against the football players because <laughs> they love we'd have to ask we, we had talked about uh, making an AI of Chris Christian so we might have to get him on the phone and see if we can make an AI of him <laughs> that'd be beautiful because he, <laughs> he liked people throwing the old animal skin around <laughs> <laughs> oh please play it Peter please no I'm not playing it play it <laughs> Nobody <laughs> likes it but you and me. Nobody <laughs> likes it. <laughs> How about at the end of the episode? Put it in at the end. No. <laughs> oh. Just a couple sound bites. <laughs> For the listener, Bullhagen is tired. <laughs> Bullhagen doesn't want to do more podcasts, but he also doesn't want to leave you with a short episode. So he's trying to fill right. it with filler. And I'm not going to let him do that. Fine. Moving on. Top 12 list. <laughs> Peter, play the intro. Whoa, what? Top 12. Top 12. I got it right here. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. Let's move on. Peter's being obstinate. I'm angry again, Pete. (laughs) You've done it. (laughs) We'll have a very happy listener. Thank you, Peter. You're welcome. You had a top 12 list? Maybe. This whole time. (laughs) You've been hoodwinked. Well, since you don't want to talk about football and Chris Christian... I'm gonna we can talk about football. We just, All right. I'm not going to replay it. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Top 12 uh, football uh, traditions by which we can learn the catechism. Okay. <laughs> All right? Yeah. yeah, let's go. Let's do this. I'm into it. Yeah. All right. Number 12. The pregame ritual. Right? Yeah. Right. You get the team ready. You eat. fire them up. Right? You get the band going. You eat a meal. You eat a meal. That's right. Uh, uh, this this teaches us uh, oh the importance of a ritual that seemingly even football players know. <laughs> Thank you. You're far too kind. That was a good point. The, the we should come up with a football liturgy. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, there is already a football liturgy, right? Right. Uh, if they're for, uh, f- first down, uh, like at an Iowa State game for a cyclone, first down, everyone cheers. Right. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Yeah. We we always get a generally a vicar who's sport illiterate, by the way. You got one. Number 11. A good halftime speech, right? right? Okay. Yeah. What is what a halftime teach? Okay. Speech is, okay, this is what we've done wrong. This is what we've done wrong. And uh, this is what uh, we need to do. Yeah. Right? Let's, and now that we've learned it, let's move on. It's like drowning the old Adam. And it always ends in gospel that we can always we can come back and take the game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not through a hail mary though. That's that's not the no. catechism. No, that's pagan. Right. Number ten. And the tailgating community, right? Tailgating. Who doesn't like tailgate? Vicar, you tailgate, right? I have before. Yes. Yeah. It's people gathering together in a common confession, right? The importance of gathering together, eating together. Table fellowship. Table, table fellowship, right? I think we can draw some some learning principles from that about what we do on Sunday morning. Number nine. Marching bands. What do marching bands do, Vicar? They improve morale. Right. Not just for camaraderie, right? No. It's about it's about uh leading what's Le- going on. Right. Right? Leading them and giving them cues as to what's coming next. Mm-hmm. And uh, remember, there's a we game after game. You you build on it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think 
<laughs> I think uh, uh, our hymns and, and worship uh, do the same. A good organist is like a good marching band. Yeah, we were just talking about that earlier. Yeah. About how a, a, good, a good organist is sometimes hard to come by. That's right. Number eight. The one thing uh, that I enjoy is a good uh, victory dance, touchdown dance. Okay. What's your favorite? Do you do the, the gritty? Is that what you do? <laughs> the, the icky shuffle. Anybody remember the icky shuffle? No? Who was it that did the stanky leg? That one was always my favorite. Just because oh. I thought it was so silly. The stanky leg? I don't know. Right? So that, that reminds us, uh, the victory dance, that uh, we have the final victory, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is going nowhere. And also, you have David <laughs> who danced for joy, right? Mm-hmm. So it's biblical. It's biblical. Yeah. Number seven. Rivalries, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, obviously, when you have a rivalry, you have an enemy. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, when you're playing football with this rivalry, you don't just give up. Even if you're losing, what do you do? You push harder. You keep. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And and that is really a way of thinking about our repentance, right? Because we're going we're to get kicked in the teeth all the time, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that doesn't mean uh, we may fall. doesn't mean we stop battling. We drown the old Adam, a new person arises, and we, we keep fighting our sinful nature through the gospel. Our old Adam continues to be drowned. What happens is when you think, oh, we've, I've lost this battle with sin, I'm giving up. That's when impenitence creeps in. And so regardless of the score, because you already know that Christ has won the battle, uh, you continue uh, continue to, uh, to see fight. the rival and understand what the enemy is, and that's sin. Right. This is the life of sanctification. Right. Number six. Team chants. Who doesn't like a good team chant? Right? Building unity. Always get people pumped. Right. I mean, you know what you do with a team chant is you say something over and over again. Like, we're going to win. We're going to win. We're going to win. And finally, the team actually believes, hey, we're going to win. <laughs> That's the worst cheer ever. <laughs> That's the worst cheer ever. Can you imagine going to a football game? We're going to win. We're going to win. Number five. Uh, something that's that's big here this this weekend in our our town is homecoming game, right? Yeah. What what's the theory behind a homecoming game, Vicar? I'm gonna be honest, I have no idea. Uh, let's uh, let's parse it out. There's home, and then there's coming. Right. So is this the first home game? I I'm assuming. No, it's a homecoming game. So it is a game where like alumni. Oh, come back. okay. Right? Yeah, I see where you're I'm going. coming back home. Re- realizing where you came from and where you're going. So, And also having that community with those who have gone before. Mm-hmm. That's right. You're, gotcha. you're, 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 you're uh, catching what I'm throwing up here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Number four. Post-game handshake. <laughs> COVID for a while put a little damper on the post-game handshake. But we had to bring it back. We brought it back, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. been resurrected, you might say. Right. Good game, Pastor. Good game, Pastor. GG. Sometimes you do get the elbow bump. Sometimes you still get a little elbow bump. That's all right. Fist bump, yeah. Yeah. That's all right. Respect the game. That's right. Number four. The Super Bowl. Everything culminates into the big... The big game. The big game. Just like, you know, our lives... <laughs> This is so late. <laughs> Our lives end with the, the big game in heaven. What do you what do you think, Vicar? I think that's an apt analogy you've come up with there. Oh. Number three. Huddle, right? You gather together. All right, team. We huddle together, have a, a common vision, being focused on the what is at hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh, it's you can't really huddle uh, without everyone being gathered, right? So we, we huddle together. Yeah, and what's the purpose of a huddle? To set your minds on a common goal, on the same thing, to reorient yourself, mm-hmm. 
Sounds a lot like prayer. There you go. There you go. You're getting it. You're getting it. Number two. The battle between offense and defense. Right? Right? Yep. Yeah, yep. there's offense where you're you're trying to to take the pig skin, the animal skin, and throw it, and someone else catches it in the end zone, right, Vicar? Mm-hmm. To score a touchdown, a tutty. But that touchdown has already been scored. Mm-hmm. Right. The victory dance is coming. The victory dance the is big coming. Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> right. But sometimes, as a Christian, you got to go on the offense. Sometimes you That's play right. defense. That's right. Sometimes you switch to the different other mm-hmm. side of the field. Yeah. Right. So sometimes, sometimes you're, you're looking to to go on the offense with God's word, speak it clearly, and sometimes you defend the flock. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes you're called or you're drafted from the enemy team and brought to the winning team. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and the final football the thing that teaches us of the catechism. And number one. The end zone. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, that was bad. You know what? I liked it. Did you? Yeah. All right. It was good. There's got to be somebody out there who's going to think this was the best bit ever. Right. Some if if uh, uh, if <laughs> yeah if you're someone who just listened to that and thinking you know what I could be a pastor too <laughs> you can get a hold of us at <laughs> <laughs> I want to do that for a living all right well we got to get ready for our meeting so Vicar your first time just you and me and Pete how's how's it feel cozy cozy all right. Well, uh, we're about ready to have some Gatorade. Enjoy the victory. Go have a celebratory meal. Table fellowship, if you will. <laughs> so, thank you for listening. And I'm Bullhagen. I'm Vicar. And may your analogies not be forced. <laughs> thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.